0: I am super excited to have you back for another episode of Red Receipt. It's a deep dive into the how and why of the brands we love and the creatives behind them. From blueprints to launch day, customers as community, and the detours in between. Big lessons and easy listening. Red Receipt is hosted by Antidote, the email and SMS marketing agency by people who hate boring email. Today on Red Receipt, I'm sitting down with none other than Carl Shevik, the brains behind earth foam and sleep on latex. Carl crafts natural bedding essentials, keeping sustainability at its core. We'll talk about his business journey, fair trade efforts, his dedication to customer satisfaction, and his take on the future of the online mattress industry. As always, thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy the show. Um, Where are you based out of?
1: Uh, We're in Niles, Illinois, so we're right outside of Chicago.
0: Are you from that area?
1: Yeah, yeah, so it's right by where I grew up. Um, so it's really nice to like kind of be in the same the same place where I grew up running a business. Did
0: you did you move away for for school?
1: Yeah, so I went to college um at Indiana University. So I was there for five years and then came back to Chicago. I've been here ever since. Kind That's of all awesome. over the city, but yeah, and even the business, we've moved around different areas of the city.
0: Did you uh what did you do before launching the, the business and brand?
1: So I I came out of college, and I worked for a company that did contract sewing. So this was in like 2007. Uh, the Iraq war was still going on. So there a lot of like military stuff is still sewn in the US. So they were doing contract sewing, uh, like coveralls for the Air Force and like military boots. Um, so I kind of like, dipped my feet into the sewing world and uh, got some experience with that and then went out and tried to do my own thing, uh, doing contract sewing. And one thing led to another and I ended up in the mattress business.
0: Did you um, did you always know that you wanted to start a brand?
1: I always knew I wanted to have some kind of business. Um, like, you know, I flirted with doing other things in college and like there are other subjects I was interested in, but yeah, I kind of always had this idea that I would end up back like running a business. E- even when I was a little kid, I'd always have like little schemes to make money. I started a business selling pogs when I was in elementary school. It, I don't that's know if awesome. you remember, Pog. yeah. yeah <laughs> a lot of the, awesome. I've told people that and they're like, what is, what is that? <laughs> um, so yeah, I always kind of like, had some entrepreneurial spirit. uh, And yeah, once I jumped into it, it was just like natural. I'm going to keep going with this.
0: What caught your eye? Like, how did you get interested in mattresses when you were doing the contract sewing business? So I started, so I I was doing contract sewing
1: and then that slowed down because it was like around the time of the recession. So all of the work that was out there doing contract sewing just kind of dried up. We were working for companies that had their own sewing facilities, but were like contracting out the extra work. And all of a sudden, they were laying off people. They weren't going to give us any work. Um, So then I shifted into doing beanbag chairs, and I did beanbag chairs for a while. And I was trying to sell beanbag chairs online, just on eBay. And I found that there was a lot of competition doing that. So I was having trouble like getting any traction, selling beanbag chairs. And I started looking at the different materials that my suppliers had to see if there was anything I could resell online. And so I kind of stumbled, one of my suppliers had latex foam and I stumbled into it and got really interested in it. Um, Cause it was like the most expensive foam that they sold. And I started reading about it. And then I realized like, oh, there's a market and I can actually sell it at a price that I can make money. And so then I just kind of like jumped right into it after that. And so at first I was just doing toppers and pillows. And then because I had some experience doing sewing, it was kind of natural to get into actually doing full mattresses.
0: I, I feel like it's most people don't have like the Mac manufacturing Arm yeah. Immediately, but you were doing the manufacturing the whole time. And didn't, yeah. did you have another? Is this a new brand name, but you've been doing, a, was it like a similar business? Is this a bad question? Also? No, no,
1: no, 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 not at all.
0: Uh, yeah. So we have two
1: brands. One is Earth Foam, uh, which is what we're really trying to promote right now. We have another brand called Sleep on Latex, uh, which has been around for 10 years. And so we're actually trying to be really open with everybody. Like this is the same company. They're just two different brands and our products. There's some small differences in the product lines and that may change with time. But right now they're very, very similar products. Um, And so the, the issue we ran into with latex foam and with the brand Sleep on Latex is it just sounds weird to people. It, yeah, it's really it sounded like,
0: weird. It sounded yeah. weird to me, like especially reading about the qualities of the foam. Yeah, uh, I was thinking like my wife would love the idea of this mattress, like having like a healthy, natural mattress. But then like the name of it's, "Sleep on Latex" almost feels like the opposite. It's
1: thing, so yeah. It's right? totally is that, is yeah, that fucked No, up to say. Yeah, no, no, and that's that's the experience I've had like a million times in telling people what I do. I say latex mattresses, and I can just see like look confused, and then you you have to say, oh, it's a latex mattress, but it's actually natural, and then they're like, yeah, latex is natural, like what? Like it doesn't make any sense to people, and so it's kind of like you have to first explain that latex is not a bad thing before that you can convince them that it's a good thing. And so with earth foam, we're just trying to create a more neutral name that it, it's kind of funny. It's like you're creating this other name for the material, but I actually think it helps people understand what the material is a lot better. Um, it's Way not, better. Yeah. We're not trying to like hide what it is. We're just trying to give people a name that, allows them to understand what it is because with latex it's like it's just so counterintuitive to a lot of people that they they can't like understand what the product is once you say latex um i kind of i kind
0: of love the way that you built the business so like uh making product and just selling like figuring out how to sell that type of product and then scaling the business over 10 years and then after the 10 years, I've, I feel like it's an, actually an interesting approach, like deciding we're going to invest in building a brand around this now, but we don't want to even disrupt like the foundational business that we've built. So we're going to build it like alongside is pretty fascinating. Also it- seems like a pretty good way of building like a profitable business along the way.
1: Yeah, and that was something we had to think about, um, and we're still thinking about, like how do we how do we make these two these two brands work together? Um, yeah. and yeah, we just kind of figure we did think about it at some point maybe we should just change everything to earth foam, but then we kind of decided, well, we have something that works already, and it connects. I, I mean, most people don't know what latex foam is, but there is a group of people out there that know what latex foam is and are looking specifically for latex mattresses. And so we just thought, well, Sleep on Latex connects really well with those people. Why not just continue using that and just build on top of it um, instead of like creating a whole new thing and confusing the audience that we already have?
0: Did you um, did you raise money to build Sleep on Latex? Did you- no. Oh, yes. Wow. Yeah, so, yeah we've awesome. never.
1: Yeah, we've never raised any money. We've just That's done amazing. everything. Yeah, it's all just been self-funded. Um, I mean, we like when I started out, I was just drop shipping. So I had yeah. a distributor <laughs> of latex foam uh, that I would just I would get an order. I would place it with them. Actually, way in the beginning, I would go to the supplier that I had once like I put the products that they had online and then once i would get an order i would just drive over there and then go straight to the ups <laughs> store and send it out and so it's it's all just been kind of like built um from nothing really we just keep reinvesting whatever we make
0: you have your own uh manufacturing facility now right
1: yeah yeah so we we do the manufacturing of the mattresses in niles um so here we're doing we're getting in like the fabric, the wool, we're quilting it together. We're sewing the covers. We're assembling the whole mattress. Um, and we recently, as, as part of the earth foam brand, we started a factory in Sri Lanka. Um, so we're at, we're making the foam that's inside of the mattresses that we're selling. That
0: is crazy that you've never raised money and you're like uh, actually building factories.
1: I I think it's, does it feel like that or no? No, it. I mean, you know, I think there's two things. One is it's been kind of frustrating at points because you've seen so much attention in the last 10 years on businesses that have raised money, And I think everybody's mindset when they're starting a business has been, we just, we need to raise money. But I do think, it's allowed us to be more free in our approach and really just to focus on profit. I think the problem is if you take money, then you have to show sales and you have to like, you have like a clear thing that you need to do and you need to do it quickly. Um, And so for us, like we've kind of been able to go at our own pace with everything because we're funding it ourselves.
0: And do it the way that you want to do it.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, because, you know, I don't even know,
1: honestly, if we were funded by somebody else, if they would be into us going to Sri Lanka and building a factory. Like, it's not, it's it's kind of a risky thing. And I don't think it would be viewed as a thing that there's like that much uh, potential. Like the value, I think that anybody investing in our brand would see is just on the consumer end of things. Um, But I think there's a lot of value on the back end. And I think if you are able to build up your supply chain and build up your manufacturing ability, that really gives you a lot of power that can then be converted to strength on the consumer end.
0: Yeah, you mean in terms of like, uh, like A, knowledge of how to manufacture, B, like uh, access to materials, I feel like it creates like a moat around the brand in a way where it's like you have more stability than most and also just more control. Most of the brands place an order and then it's like, I hope it gets here uh, when we need it. Right, right.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, you can communicate much better to your customers what you're doing and your customers trust you because I think there's a lot of e-commerce brands that they're just sourcing. And I mean, actually, yeah. it's not only e-commerce, it's it's like brands in general. Yeah, you're just you have some factory in Asia that's making something for you. And so I think about that when I'm buying things like how much does this company actually know about what they're selling. And so for us, I think having that manufacturing ability really can give um, some confidence to our customers that we know what we're doing. Um, But I think it also gives you the ability, you have a lot more pricing power. Um, cause you see where all the costs are, uh, and you also can do crazy things and like try ideas. That's all that's been my frustration. A lot of times is like, I want to do something and like, I need an, another company to do it. And then I'm like thinking, well, if I have them do it, then they're just going to sell it to other people. Or like, can yeah. I even convince them to do it to begin with? I, I think that's actually realistically more of the challenge. Um, and so with this, like we can do whatever crazy things we want and then, uh, we can reap the benefits if, if it works.
0: Did you build the brand? How quickly was it profitable?
1: Um, like sleep on latex.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Just
1: in general. I'm just
0: viewing it as like one thing in general with two ideas of identities
1: from, from the beginning, because, you know, I guess you were
0: drop shipping in the beginning. So it's like maybe a direct model to profitability
1: i i i had to make money because
0: yeah. i was
1: living off of that so uh that's my mindset has always been that we need to make profit you know yeah i've never looked.
0: i'm in at- a i'm in a similar business so it makes yeah. sense yeah i feel like the freedom also that you have to make your own decisions uh i don't know i've i've like reflected on this with myself like I think sometimes maybe I'll get like the pressure of like what I feel like other people would expect or want to do in the situation. Anytime I felt really good though, it's like, I'll throw that out the window. Like, what do I want to do? Regardless of what happens? Like I feel good about the decisions I make and I can't really control the outcome of anything, but at least I have the input that I want. That's the interesting thing about having your own
1: business. If you're like successful to some extent, it's like, yeah, I know. Well, I run this business with my brother and like the first five or six years, we had some success and then we were, it was just so crazy for a while, like just trying to keep up with everything. We didn't even think about anything. And then we got to a point we, we like caught up with everything. And then we started thinking, well, what do we want to do with this business? You know, and I, I actually find that to be like a really tricky thing is like when you are, there's a power to being in control of your own destiny, but then it's like,
0: nobody is telling you what to do. And yeah, that's, it's very, I think I'm kind of going through that now. I'm like three and a half years into a business. I feel like I'm somewhat coming out of like the, just go, go, go. Go and like reflecting on what you want. It's so tough. It's so tough. And also you have other people involved at that point. Like you have employees, you have people that like rely on you. So it's like you feel the weight of other people while you're trying to figure out like the best. That I think that's why I've reflected more recently. Like on, you know, like I almost have to just like detach from the outcome. Like what do I want to do? in this moment, like what feels good for me right now, like whatever happens after I can't really control. But as long as I like feel really great about what I'm doing, then I think that's all I could ask for right now.
1: It's, it's interesting too, because like in the beginning, when you're just trying to like hustle, and it's like, you're either gonna make it or you're not gonna make it, you don't even (laughs) think about anything you're doing you just go 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 you know and so it's it is weird when you get to that point of like you've had some level of success and things are like there's some things are a little bit stable
0: yeah like there's some normalcy in my life uh it's (laughs) funny because i think like a month ago i felt like i almost wish i was back in like the initial energy of just like no thought or like yeah it's like how did you have that at that time like how did you have the conviction but it's pure necessity like you just have to do whatever you have to do and there's no option of like you have to do it yeah just make a decision and move
1: yeah that's you know i feel sometimes like i want me 10 years ago like yeah I want that's it what back. I'm
0: trying to say yeah yeah
1: yeah because it's like uh man I I think I was sharper I think I was yeah. like yeah. <laughs> like it's like yeah once once things are a little bit stable you start to lose that but it's like when you have to fight for everything you're getting you're sometimes you're miserable doing that but yeah you're really sharp too it's like you're paying attention to everything
0: You know, I, I feel like my thinking is almost the opposite. Actually, it's the same and the opposite at the same time. Like, uh, I think back to that time and not that I'm at all in your shoes, but, uh, I feel like it's the same sense or yeah, just in a different like context of things. But, um, I felt like at that time, you know, you have nothing to lose, yeah, You have nothing to hold on to. So it's, it's easier to just like open your hands and do things with like a freedom because you can't, you don't have any outcome. It's like survival is the outcome that yeah. you want. And so, yeah, it's easier to be like in a super creative mindset out of this dire necessity versus you now, 10 years later, like you have things around you, you have the stability. It's harder to let go and say like, I have the same spirit inside of me, like of making decisions based on what I think's best and just like throw it all to the wind, right?
1: Yeah. And like you were saying with people too, I mean, people, that's a huge thing of once you have people that are working with you and relying on you, um, then like, you can't just change directions tomorrow. You can, but you have all these people. Yeah. So, like, Why are you doing that? You know, like, yeah. why don't we keep yeah. doing it this way, <laughs> you know? So it's like there, you have some <laughs> boundary, like when it's just you, you can just do whatever you want and you just yeah. make a sudden decision. Like, Oh, I was wrong about this. Like, I'm not going that way. <laughs> I'm going that way. But like you can't really do that when you have people when you're working with people, because like you, you just can't have them like switching directions all the time.
0: Yeah. It's like the opposite of what they want too. they want stability. They want, uh, Yeah, they want, like, decisive nature. So for you to do that, it's literally the opposite of what the environment that they're, like, needing to do their best work is. Yeah. Yeah. Was it it a hard bet for you to make to bet on the thesis of making a new brand where the product is maybe more palatable, like, on the surface? because that seems like a long-term bet again, maybe not because you already have like the foundational business running.
1: I, I, I felt like it, it was something that we had to do, um, because I think with sleep on latex, we're very much in a commodity market. So I think we've done, we've done a lot to try to differentiate ourselves. Um, and I think we have a really good reputation. We're offering really good products. And so do think there is some differentiation, but at the end of the day, we're just trying to appeal to people who are shopping for a latex mattress online. And that's a limited market. And we're always going to be vulnerable um, in that kind of market. Like it's, we're always going to have to keep fighting. And so with Earth Foam, we wanted to create something where it's, it's more of it has a stronger brand identity. Um, And we're hoping that by doing that, we can kind of like, uh, we can develop more of like a long-term established presence in the mattress market. Um, And I think we need to do that if we wanna grow the business. I think we also just found that like, we kind of hit a ceiling with sleep on latex of like, there's only so many people looking for latex mattresses. And if we want to reach a a wider audience, we need to make what we're selling palatable to a wider group of consumers.
0: Did it feel like a risk for you guys doing it or not really because of the way that you separated the two brands out? I think the bigger risk for us was setting up
1: everything and building the factory um, in Sri Lanka. I think that
0: a pretty big decision probably much bigger than you making a new front facing brand
1: yeah cuz i think actually like creating the brand it did take work but it fits in pretty well it's more of a branding exercise than it is yeah. like investing in any infrastructure and i think the factory was the thing where there's quite a bit of upfront investments you were doing it on the other side of the world and um So that that was more of a risk to us. Uh, How did
0: you even start that process? Like, how did the what does that look like to open a factory on the other side? So we actually we have two
1: factories. So the first thing we did was we developed the supply chain um, for latex. So we're working with over five hundred small farmers in Sri Lanka, and we're collecting uh, latex or rubber from them. Um, so they bring it into our factory. We run it through a centrifuge machine. So we basically just like take out some of the water. Um, and so in the beginning we were just then sending that to another factory where the foam was being made. And so then we built the foam factory. And so that, and that was a much bigger investment, um, than just doing, just collecting the latex. Um, it also, we were doing it at a time that there was a lot going on in Sri Lanka. So it was kind of like under chaotic circumstances. But luckily, we have a really great team there. We have a really great partner. Um, and they. it's, it's in really incredible what they've done. Uh, it's a shame, like actually, that we can't, we're trying to like uh, share that more everything that we're doing there, but they've done like such an amazing job. It's, it's really crazy.
0: Whose, whose idea was it initially to, to try something like that? You know, so we, there
1: were a number of different reasons. um, We decided to do the factory. Um, But I think like, we we were talking to somebody uh, to to our partner in sri lanka um he had had experience running other factories and um it just seemed at some point it just seemed like kind of a no-brainer it was in like it was around the time of the uh of the pandemic or we were coming out of the pandemic and so there were there was a lot of crazy things going on with shipping and like rubber prices um And so, yeah, we just, I, I don't know. It was just a number of things. And at some point it just kind of tipped over to like, yeah, let's go ahead and do this.
0: How have you got you and your brother like evolved your leadership style together as you built a team? How big is your team now?
1: Yeah. So here we have uh, 40 people working Oh wow. Yeah, um, in Sri Lanka, it's much larger. We have like 250 people working. Oh my god! Yeah, so that that's a bigger operation. Um, but yeah, I I think just here we've really learned a lot about managing people. It's been a whole process, um, and it's I think it's been a learning experience. And at this point, we have a really incredible team. But I think like it took us a while to kind of figure out what to look for um, and also how to manage people and how to know like what people to put in what position. And it's still a work in progress. Like that, that's the one thing I'm always trying to get better at. um, And I don't think I'm all the way there with it. Yeah.
0: Do you guys have like coaches or mentors? Do you? No, we don't have anything
1: like that. I guess we just learn from failing.
0: (laughs) We just do uh, something
1: stupid, and then we say, "Okay, well, now we know not to do that again."
0: That's how I am. Uh, I've (laughs) talked to people that have coaches, and I think, "Wow, that sounds really smart." Yeah, maybe I should think about doing that, and then I don't do it, uh, and I learn from another painful experience.
1: It's always. But I also love
0: learning like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because, well, like, I think it's always tempting to think there's somebody out there that has the answer. answers.
0: Yeah. yeah. So it, tempting.
1: Yeah. Like that's, I mean, that's such a hard thing when you're running your business. Like you don't, you just don't know what to do and there's no like playbook, you know, and there's like, there's lots of books about like yeah. how to manage people. Um, But I mean, there's almost so much information that it's like, you don't know, what information to use. Um, And so, yeah, I don't know. I'm always skeptical. Like, I think the coaching thing may work well (laughs) for some people, but I'm always skeptical of like somebody having the answer. Like, that's awesome. That's awesome.
0: Did you you learn that through doing this? Because I feel like I had to learn that fact or like uh, feeling from failing in a few businesses. I had a couple of business partners where I thought like, you know, they'll do this thing that I'm not good at. And I I basically learned through like really bad experiences just no one else has the answer. Like your answer is as good as anyone else's. So if you feel good about it, you should probably go with it. And also you have to learn everything. Like there's no out on any part of it.
1: Yeah, I think I've learned a lot of that just from like internet marketing because Yeah, I, same. When I, yeah, <laughs> like it's, I mean, talk about an area where there's like so many people selling yes. the answers and then when you dig into it, it's like
0: you It's know, impossible nobody,
1: to have answers. Yeah, nobody knows what they're doing. Like yeah. even the experts really don't know what they're doing.
0: <laughs> yeah <So. laughs> that's exactly uh but i feel like any expert would say that up front you know like um i could, because i oddly like work in that field and i feel like yeah that's actually like how i've had any success it's like if you work with people that know that fact you're most likely working with good people uh you're both working towards the same answer and you don't know anything the whole time. You're just like tr- showing up, trying to learn and find the best way forward. I always find it funny when I like people talk about best practices yeah. because I always think like, what would that even mean? Uh, that <laughs> seems such like that, to me, that seems like such an odd concept. Like if you want to do the same thing, everyone else does then i guess maybe that would be a good idea but i feel like most people don't do anything that well or it's not very original so if that's the question then you're most likely going to get the same shit that everyone else gets yeah. yeah yeah okay
1: that's that's always like my thought with with internet marketing is yes. You, if you just go out and do whatever is trendy and do whatever everybody else is doing, you're, you're not going to get anywhere because yeah. like, even if it works, like a million people are just going to copy you.
0: So yeah. I lately I've been really interested in offer structures for direct consumer, like type of, or just online brands. Uh, yeah. Because I feel like all the offers are pretty similar now. It's like buyer product most likely it will work or we hope it works for you. Yeah. And I, uh, it's like not that great of an offer. Really. It's not that attractive. And uh, I've been looking at offers in other industries and, um, I was thinking back to like all the biggest e-com brands typically actually have pretty weird offers like Warby Parker's try on at home for free. Like no one had ever done that. If anybody told you to do that, as like a an outside consultant, they would literally be like kicked out of the room for how dumb of an idea that was. Like, how do you ship all that stuff? Like, how do you even know if that would be profitable to do? You literally wouldn't know any of it until after. And it would be a nightmare to do. Uh, Tom shoes, like the whole one for one thing, that was like a completely weird idea back then. Uh, I feel like all of them are pretty similar. Even like uh, in your industry, um, Casper, like shipping a bed in a box was a weird thing then. And, and then even though it's not an offer, it's like kind of part of their offer of ease of getting it.
1: Yeah. And I think giving people free returns, that was something. Yeah,
0: insane.
1: That changed the game <laughs> with online mattresses. Um because I don't think if you if you weren't doing that, people wouldn't be comfortable buying mattresses online. Although really funny, like I see a lot of companies kind of walking that back now. I think they're becoming, they're putting more conditions on it. And, um, you know, I think they yeah. see it probably, you lose a lot of money. There's a big cost to doing that
0: yeah i guess also though it might be like the time frame that those people are trying to start brands in or like your uh point about how most people are just buying products and like kind of re-skimming them like i think i i feel like at the end of those offers basically you have to be super confident that your product actually lives up to what you're selling and so It's almost like a game of faith. Like how far am I willing to bet that this idea that I have is actually true? And the companies that are like too short-sighted, like the risk analysis of it, if you were like venture funded or had raised money, like it would basically look horrible. Or you actually don't think you have a good product and then a bunch of people return it and you're like shit out of luck.
1: Yeah, I think that's probably it. Like, you know, in the beginning, when there was lots of venture capital funds coming in, then it was like, oh, we have all this money. Like, it's who cares if we get a bunch of returns? Like, we have plenty of money, you know, and we're not trying to make money right now, anyways. So that was a great way to drive revenue. So I think then that was the motivator. Now we're reaching a point that a lot of these companies have not really been financially successful. And so now they're trying to tighten their belt and they're like, where can we do this? It's like, well, why are we, why are we paying all this money for, for returns? Like let's just get rid of that or let's put some kind of limitation on that. Um, I feel
0: like the, the factory, like the vertical nature of the brand, like I, I, checked out the brand and also looked at uh, sleep on latex. Yeah. And I found that to be the most interesting part actually. And uh, I think it is a lot of like the trust factor. Like I felt like, wow, they're really doing this, you know, like they're actually doing this. I will say I had like a couple thoughts where I was like, is this real? Are those like, did they just print some t-shirts in Sri Lanka? And yeah. Post some people up. Because of the like level of commitment that that takes, like I think the content on the factory is so trust building and like legitimizing too.
1: Yeah, we actually want to do more of that. It's it's been like just getting the factory up, uh, and yeah, yeah. now <laughs> we're putting like. <laughs> We just added another building, so we'll have a little bit more room. Everything was like really tight in the factory, so they were trying to take pictures, and it's just like there's stacks of foam everywhere. And yeah. so, yeah, we're just. I feel waiting. like
0: even the storytelling, though, like about people working there, especially in the new brand, like in Earth Foam, like and uh, what it means to like the community to have like a brand like yours building direct relationships would be really cool. Also done in like the style that you have, the brand would be pretty beautiful. And the environment in Sri Lanka also seems like so beautiful.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a beautiful place. And yeah, it's been amazing to see like all of the help that we've gotten with building um the fair trade fund and like yeah. going around and like we have different They call them pocket meetings, like meetings with like, there's different communities of farmers that we get latex from. And so just to go out and like see those in action um, and see some of the projects that are being done, it's really cool. Um, And I think we're getting getting like more and more support from those communities too. I think they were a little skeptical in the beginning that this is just like you know, this is some company that's doing some PR and they didn't really like believe that we were going to follow through with all of the these same things.
0: Skept- the same skepticism I had when I yeah. saw <laughs> right. the factory. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: But I think now it's like <laughs> they're seeing that, that, you know, this program is continuing and there's money going into these, into the fund and there's projects actually being funded. Um, it's a lot that's of money awesome. that's gone into the fund. So Um, I think now that helps us build trust with them. And it actually helps us too, just in like securing supply um, that, you know, the people in these communities like know about us now. Um, And I think it's cool too, for them to be able to see where the latex is being used, um, that it's ending up in people's mattresses. Like that was something that somebody commented at one of the pocket meetings that like, you know, I never knew like this rubber is ending up in people's mattresses in Chicago. (laughs) That's like, it just gives them a level of connection that they wouldn't have otherwise. Um, But yeah, I think back to your point too, of trying to do something that's different and that's out of the mold of what everybody else is doing. That's kind of like what we're trying to do here is Like, this is this really difficult thing that requires all this work. Like, I don't know that anybody else is going to want to do it, you know? Yeah. Um, And they might, but even if they do, like, we have a head start and like, it's- um,
0: Seems pretty unlikely.
1: Yeah. It's not like just, you know, setting up some trendy, like Facebook advertising campaign that you have a new strategy for AI to develop. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I for <laughs> you, you know, it's like, there's, there's like actually <laughs> substance that, um, is not necessary. It can't be like replicated easily. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It seems unlikely that anyone would want to do it. I feel like also the idea of like, um, I don't know, like, you know, mission driven brands. I, I don't know. I feel like that's such like a cheap idea. And in reality, like you should just build meaningful ways of working with other people and like supporting people that you work with. And that in and of itself is a pretty good mission. Like it doesn't have to be that you're going to like change the entire world, Uh, you know, like just make a really good beneficial thing for everyone, every single person involved in like that seems like it'd feel pretty meaningful in and of itself.
1: That's, that's our thing. We're like, we're Mm -hmm. not trying to change the world. We're not trying to sell to anybody that we're necessarily making the world better. Um, But we're just trying to be responsible. And so I think if you are sourcing rubber from farmers, you have a responsibility to make sure that you're treating them in the right way. And if you're sourcing from communities, you have a responsibility to give back to those communities. So just like we feel like that here in Chicago, we feel like that in Sri Lanka too. So we're just trying to do something that's connected to our business and ultimately just ensures that everybody in our supply chain is being treated as as fairly as possible. Um, So it's not... I've, yeah, because I see that, too. You see so much like companies making these really like bold statements about what their company is doing. And yeah, we all we all want to do good, but we're also running a business. And ultimately, the business has to yeah. be profitable. Like that's that's what we're doing. But you do. Ha- I, I do feel very strongly that you have to do it in a responsible way. And so that's kind of what we're trying to communicate with all of these initiatives with fair trade um, and organic sourcing.
0: Yeah, I think that's awesome. I feel like it's also a more upfront way of doing it. You know, like you might have lofty goals. Doesn't mean you're there now. Uh, And all of them can't happen the way that you envision. So it's like way better just to do like the one step At a time, I feel like it's pretty crazy for you looking or I would imagine it would be pretty crazy looking back 10 years. You said 10 years ago is when you started doing the drop shipping.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Like to have multiple factories in on the other side of the world with the two brands is pretty wild.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty crazy, like looking back at it. But, you know, then I just think like we have so much further to go.
0: So um, It never feels like that in the moment. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. But it's pretty wild. Yeah. Yeah. It's,
1: it's cool. It's, I enjoy working with people from all over the world and you get to see people that come from completely different backgrounds um, and different cultures and uh, just their lifestyle is completely different, but like, You all come together like for business. I think that's something uh, that I really have an appreciation for is like how business can bring people uh, together, you know, and you can experience like um, you can experience what things are like in Sri Lanka just through business, you know?
0: Yeah. Have you traveled to Sri Lanka?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I try to go out. That's got to be pretty cool. Oh, yeah. It's, I mean, it's an exhausting trip. Um, (laughs) It takes about 20 hours on a plane to get there. And then once you get there, you're on complete opposite time of what when you started. So it's like, it takes it out of you. And I have to like limit how much I do. I, I would love to go out there all the time, but it's like, I'll go out there and come back. And then, yeah, between like recovering once I get there and then recovering once I get back uh it's just a lot but it's such a beautiful place um and i love Uh, i love the food there that's that's my favorite part (laughs) like i go there and it's like man my stomach just feels great like (sighs) i i i just feel so good eating sri
0: lankan food all the time that's amazing (laughs) uh cool to have like a business set up where you get to do that even though it's exhausting it's like an adventure
1: yeah. I, I, for me, that's like, I know people like to go out and travel. I enjoy like experiencing other places and other cultures through business. Uh, i not everybody's cup of tea, but like that's, I find that to be
0: really fun. Yeah. I think I'm, uh, I might be similar. I mean, I haven't done it as often lately, but in my past jobs, I got to travel a lot for work like uh to mainland China to okay. like all over and I I had coworkers who hated it. I had coworkers who hated it. I just thought it was so fun. Like um I don't know. I was like these are like such priceless stories. Like uh the whole thing of it is like a it's so funny. You know what I mean? Like you, you find yourself in the weirdest and craziest situations and places like that i would never be if i was traveling for vacation yeah i would never go to and they're also like so memorable from the people that you're with and the situations that you find yourself in i feel like yeah those are great times
1: yeah it's um yeah i have so many stories (laughs) from sri lanka (laughs) yeah it's just like yeah, things that would never happen here. Never,
0: um, but yeah. yeah, it's just. Yeah. But also super personal things too, like um, yeah, like even eating meals. Like I remember the first time I went to China for work, we ate lunch at a factory, cooked by the factory employees, and like eating like a family style meal with all these people, like. I would never find myself like getting that immersed in someone else's culture on vacation. Impossible.
1: Yeah. That's, that's what we have at our factory. We have like a canteen area. And so like they cook meals every day
0: and yeah, yeah, so it, cool. It,
1: it, yeah. It's great. It's really good food too.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um I guess like looking back over the 10 years, do you feel like there's any like main lessons that you would have liked to have known going into it before? Um, yeah. I think um I, I
1: I think I would have, I, like I've gained an appreciation for how difficult it is to manage people. And like how difficult it is to manage an organization. And like, I've gained a lot of respect for anybody who does that successfully, because I see even at our small level, like just how difficult it is. Um, And I think that's something I'm kind of grappling with right now. And so I, that's something I'd like, I guess it's not something I know I'm still trying to like find the answers for, but I think. I wish now I would have like come into this journey a little bit more prepared um, in that respect, because I I didn't really have any um, experience or really a small amount of experience managing people um, before, before I started this.
0: I guess that's also impossible to know or appreciate before, right?
1: Yeah. It's something you take you, you really do take for granted. And I think I always took for granted, like it's changed my relationship now with like bosses that I had because yeah. I look back at it and I'm like, wow, that, that was really difficult. <laughs> like what they were yeah. doing. Like I have much more of an appreciation, um, for how difficult it is to manage people at any level than I had before. Like before this, I, I was just critical, you know? Um, yeah. and now having that experience doing it i'm like i i have just like so much sympathy for
0: for everybody i worked for yeah i mean you have a massive team with everyone overseas i guess it's also like a um inflection point realizing like how far you have to go to grow the brand in the way that you want to like uh the scale and implications of that, like learning curve.
1: Yeah, I've heard too. And I I think this is probably right that like at some point, which I think is probably similar to the point we're at um, with our operation Chicago is that like, it's difficult um, because you kind of like need people doing a lot of different functions, Like you need somebody doing all of these different functions like marketing, accounting, uh, you know, like purchasing, but you don't really always have like enough resources to hire or enough work to hire somebody to do that one thing. Or in some cases, like you probably could use like a department doing something, Yeah, but like you can't really Do it so it's like you're caught in between stages i think um i that's i I know i've read that in like various places and like i i see how that that's difficult too because it's like yeah Yeah. maybe once you have a functioning team then it's like you have somebody in charge of that team and it's a little more like self-sustaining um but at the point that we're at it's like I have to get involved in a lot of different things.
0: Yeah, I feel like that's actually another phase of learning. Like um, phase one is learning. I feel like you're already through all of these, but phase one would be, I guess, managing yourself. Phase two would be managing like very few others. I think phase three would be managing other managers, which I imagine you're already doing. Yeah. But then, like, I guess you're managing executive leadership. I feel like that also would be very tricky. I think that would be extremely challenging, honestly. Like, um, yeah. I think there's a difference,
1: too, between managing, like, production workers um, and managing knowledge workers. Where, you know, like a lot of the people we have here are doing some kind of production. And I think that's easier. There's still difficulties in managing that. And, and we've struggled over the years. Um, but I think it's more, it's more contained and it's more clear all the time. Yeah. It's not as fragmented.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's not as fragmented. Also the challenge of knowledge work is that it's infinite. Uh, there's no cost of it i mean there is but there's not so like let's say you want to do 20 ideas in marketing theoretically you could do all of those ideas and there's no it's not like you're paying material costs for the doing aspect of it so it's harder to realize the sacrifice in deciding to do something versus in the physical world like if you decide to build Factory, there's immediate and obvious implications and limitations that are like naturally built in. And in digital work, there's no natural limitations built into anything, uh, which means that you have more like nuanced judgment involved. And it's a lot of guessing, unless you're doing it often enough in like similar ways that you can develop like shared understandings around, around those aspects of it, I've found.
1: And I think there's always the question too, of like, who's deciding, like, if you have 20 different options, like, is that the responsibility of the advertising manager to decide, or is that the responsibility of somebody else to direct them to do these certain things, you know? So I think it's like, yeah. It's, um, it's not only deciding what to do, it's who decides what to do and- And like, how to do
0: it. And uh, how to
1: do it. Yeah, like yeah.
0: there's decisions always at every step. Yeah, um, I know I'm at the end of our time. So if you have to hop, let me know. Great, I feel like I uh, learned a ton and also just uh, creative energy outside of the norm.